This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned, talk about horror movies. This week, if you didn't read the title of the episode, going to be getting into some wolfing. But before we get there, we got to get to our green hats, start getting stoned. Danny, what is this wonderful J that you handed me today? Well, Tyler, this is a, a joint I know you're very, very fond of. You might even argue that it's your favorite strain. I think you're right. And with that being said, I did bring over some Montana Silvertip once again. It's a strain we've brought over several times, but for those who aren't familiar, it is a strain that is a cross of some Granddaddy Perp and Super Silver Haze. And hence its name. It was crossed somewhere Mm -hmm. here in the state. I'm not sure exactly where, but regardless, the aromas of the Montana Silvertip are diesel, grape, and skunk. It also says that it has some notes of berries, some earth and piney notes. Now, the top reported effects on this, you'll feel energetic, relaxed, and uplifted. And yeah, you've already mentioned it, man. It's one of your favorites. So hence why I brought it over. Well, hell yeah. Thank you. This week, I actually got a little bit outside my bubble and went back to a shop that I haven't been to in months and hit up Stokes. And I brought you some pineapple jack from them. It's one of those strains that I like because it's all in the name. It's bred from pineapple and Jack Herrera. Dude, I was like, I can taste the citrus and I almost said Jack. I almost said it tastes like Jack. Well, you got a little bit of tropical, a little bit of citrus coming from both sides Mm -hmm. there. So like I said, pineapple and Jack crossed, a little bit more of a head euphoric feeling with those nice tropical fruity notes in there for the taste. So. I've always felt like Stokes has some of the better tasting bud in town. I agree with that. I, I do. Might not always get me as lifted as some of the other places, but like, ooh, you get a fresh batch of their Tahiti lime. Oh. What? Speaking of which, what do you think I have over my shoulder? <laughs> Smart guy. But hell yeah, we're going to keep chiefing on these. That's going to be a good time. I'm going to put in a new angle on our discussion for Wolfen, I think. But we'd also like to remind you, while we're taking our green hits, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. At even a dollar a month, you could have got this a week ago. That I mean, that's the easy one right there. Dude, I know, right? You want to be as up to date as you can be with us? It's just a dollar a month. Not even an episode. For like $3 a month, though? Ooh, boy. Then you start getting some extra shit, because we got those Patreon-only episodes going now. We got our reanimated going. We're looking back at some of these movies we haven't seen in six years now, since we fucking started. Before we had microphones set up on a table in front of us, when we were holding them shits in our hands. Yeah, we were still wet behind the ears, man. You know, I found the pictures of that again the other day, That's our awesome. old recording setup. The shit was fucking wild. I don't know how any of that shit was listenable, but... You know, it started from the bottom, dude. That's you gotta right. start somewhere. Now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Like I said, at the very least, you'll get it a week early. We got Patreon-only episodes going now. Hopefully more shit in the future. And even if you're not interested in anything we're offering right now, there's a poll on the page to find out what you would be interested in. So go check that out. We'd greatly appreciate it. And with that, I have to relight my joint because I was talking too much. But while I do so, we're going to take a very quick break and then get into the guts and bolts of Wolfen. Guts and bolts. 
All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went into making this movie? Spoiler free to start. We'll get to the spoilers later. Start off with our spoiler free setup in case you don't know what Wolfen's all about. A extremely wealthy businessman is murdered, and while trying to solve the case, it uncovers a, another string of murders that all appear to have been done by an animal. But what animal is that strong? And in New York? Dun dun dun. <laughs> also, like Wolfen's in the title, like wolves are involved. Let's let's just leave it at that for now. <laughs> but like Yeah, so with that being said, we do like to talk about the cast and crew of the films from week to week. And this week our director is a gentleman who is well known because of documentaries, not so much film, but this gentleman is Michael Wadley and because of those documentaries, the most famous one he's known for is Woodstock back in 1970. I think there was a follow-up to it with some of the Jimi Hendrix footage. And so oh, it was okay. like, yeah, there was like a, a re-release of some of the footage. And he also did the TV documentary Once Before I Die. Now, the writers on this, because this is based off the novel The Wolfen, that was written by Whitley Stryber. Now, I do want to bring this gentleman up really quick. Well, we've brought him up, right? I feel like we must have at some point. I'm surprised we haven't. I mean, looking at his novels, or at least some of his notable works, outside of The Wolf, and he's also known for The Hunger and Communion. I was about to say, we've mentioned Communion. I can't remember on what episode, but I know we've mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about like Christopher Walken and stuff, he can't help but mention that. And I'm sure we've probably talked about The Hunger, too, because of David Bowie and Susan Sarandon mm-hmm. and some others. I think that maybe even some of the people who've worked on that film we might have mentioned. But those are some of his works of note that he's actually written that's been turned to film. All right, now, the screenplay was written by Michael Wadley and David Ayer, and David is actually known for the films Cattle Annie and Little Britches and Wait Till Your Mother Gets Home. <laughs> and I was like, wow, those are some names there. All right, our cinematographer on this is Jerry Fisher. Now, this person's got some really cool films of note. When you go back, you can go back a bit to the 60s, late 60s, the 1969's Hamlet, 1970's Ned Kelly, and then you fast forward a little bit, and this is where it starts to get really interesting, right? So 1980, he did The Ninth Configuration, which is a film I watched not too long ago. It actually had some really cool people in it. Stacey Leach has um, Jason Miller, somebody brought it last week. It was... um, the continuation actually is supposed to be like a, a sequel to The Exorcist. Right. Is it like a, a true sequel or is it just, it's one of those like these it's all more, are kind of thematic. Yes. It's yeah, more yeah. a thematical sequel. But I really liked it, man. It's an interesting film nonetheless. All right. He's also known for the 1987 film Man on Fire. He went on to do The Exorcist back in 1990. All right. It was pretty wild. Dick's Town, 1991. which is really awesome. Oh, wait, he did Exorcist. That's the good one. Exorcist 3 is the good one. Yeah, you want to know what else he did? Hmm. 1986's Highlander. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. There can be only one. All right, our editors on this. There's several people on here, but we've got Marshall M. Borden. They're known for the Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat, the Children of Sanchez and Cloud Dancer. We have Martin J. Bram. They're known for the Dukes of Hazard television series from 79 through 1980. 
We have Dennis Dolan. They're known for Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Things are tough all over and Repo Man. That one's pretty oh, wild. Wow. Okay. All right. And Chris Lebenson. And Chris, actually, holy shit. You want to talk about some works here, dude? Check this out. Now, right after they did Wolfen, he went on to do Weird Science, 1985, Top Gun, 1986, Beverly Hill Cops, uh, 1987, what? Days of Thunder, Hudson Hawk. Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Crimson Tide, Mars Attacks, Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> what the Gone fuck? in 60 Seconds, Pearl Harbor, Planet of the so Apes. So I've been watching this guy's editing work my entire life. Dude, like, Triple X Radio, Big Fish. I mean, Charlie Fucking and the radio? Cho- Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd. So I mean, it looks like he's working so a lot basically. of burden. Right, 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 right. But not just Burton. No, not just him. Maleficent, The Last Witch Hunter, dude, Dumbo, Doolittle, Uncharted. God, dog, dude. So, yeah, that is crazy. All right. Blockbusters in there, too. A lot. All right. Music was composed by James Horner, another gentleman. Um, holy cow. Here we go. So, 1980s, Humanoids from the Deep. You go past that, some interesting works. 1982's Star Trek Part Two: The Wrath of Khan. 1982's 48 Hours, Something Wicked This Way Comes. I'm just looking down at a list of accolades and realizing what this motherfucker has done. What? This is crazy, isn't it? All these Star Trek films, Part 3, The Search for Spock. I'm just looking at some of his old Nominated ones. for Academy Awards for Brief. Aliens, American Tale, yeah. Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Titanic, A Beautiful Mind, House of Sand and Fog, and Avatar. Look, he also composed the music for Willow, <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Glory, this is crazy. Did an episode of Tales from the Crypt, Cutting Cards, which I believe there's an actor who we're going to talk about in a little bit that was in that episode. So, I mean, just keep going through the list. One of my favorite films from the 90s, a lot of people don't talk about enough, is a film called Jack the Bear. Man, that movie's good. But yeah, just uh, check out that gentleman's work. You brought up, I mean, some big hitters there. All right, we have special effects done by Praxis Filmworks. This was produced by Rupert Hitzik. Production company on this were Orion Pictures and King Hitzik Productions. Distributor on this was Warner Brothers for the 1981 United States theatrical release. It had a release date July 24th, 1981 here in the States. The tagline I have on this one is a little bit long, but it's kind of neat. They can hear a cloud pass overhead, the rhythm of your blood. They can track you by yesterday's shadow. They can tear the scream from your throat. Yeah, okay, but that's not really. There's all the descriptors. <laughs> no. All right. Moving into the cast, we've got a lot of people. I'm trying to breeze to this. We have Albert Finney plays the role of Detective Dewey Wilson. Fucking Daddy Warbucks. It's wild. When I think of Albert Finney, it's pretty wild. I think of, like, Big Fish. He was in, yeah, Skyfall, The Bourne Ultimatum, uh, Two for the Road. He was in Scrooge, the 1970 version. I was going to say, I think of him in as Scrooge first, just because um, my family does watch the Albert Finney Scrooge. Every Christmas for about the past 10 years, it hasn't been, like, my entire life. But No, that's awesome, though. Yeah, Aaron Brockovich, he was in the film Traffic. He voiced uh, Finnis Everglot and Corpse Bride. Like I said, he was in The Bourne Legacy and Skyfall. Bunch of television. He did some one-offs. Um, he did some recurring roles. I mean, it was pretty cool, man. All right. 
Moving forward, we have Diane Venora, another actress. She's got some really cool credits to her name. After this, she went on to do the 1984 film The Cotton Club. She was also in All That Jazz and is an extra. I told you there was a film my buddy, he sent me a photo of, but she was in 1986's FX. She was also in 1995's movie Heat, where she was nominated for a Chicago Film Critics Association Award for a Best Supporting Actress, which is really cool. She was also in uh, 1996's Romeo and Juliet. She played one of the Capulets, which is really cool. She was in the 13th Warrior, which is a Mm. pretty dope-ass film. She was in 2000's Hamlet. Let's see here. She was in, more recently, 2021 Starcross, the film. She did some television, lots of work there, too. Moving forward, we have Edward James Olmos, plays the role of Eddie Holt. The another Keats. gentleman. <laughs> the Keats. <laughs> Dude, he's got a body of work, man. Here's something that kind of surprised me. As many times as I've seen this film, I still didn't realize he was in it, but he's in 1982's Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking love him in Blade Runner. He's doing all the fucking origami. I know. I was like, how do I keep forgetting that? All right. He was in 1988 Stand and Deliver. I mean, I'm just going to run over some of his his film work right now because he's also been in television, which I think a lot of people are going to know him for. B-Star G. I know, right? He did the voice of Chief Tenabok in The Road to El Dorado back in 2000, which is really neat. Uh, he was in 2006 A Splinter. He was in, uh, let's see here, more recently, yeah, Blade Runner 2049. He voiced Chicharron in Coco from mm-hmm. 2017. He was in Chasing Wonders and Walking with Herb from last year. Television-wise, um, you've kind of already named the big one, man. But I think a lot of people should already know him for, uh, what was the name of his character? Oh, here we go, William Adama in Battlestar Galactica for 73 episodes. He also was Professor Geller in 10 episodes of Dexter back in 2011 as well, which was actually a pretty decent season, man. It wasn't bad at all. And uh, he was Felipe Reyes as a part of the Mayans MC television yeah, series the, as well. He's the father of like the main characters of Mayans. Nice. All right, we have Gregory Hines plays the role of the coroner Whittington in the film. And uh, another one of those gentlemen, he's got some real cool bodies of work here. Right before he did Wolfen, he was in History of the World Part 1 as Josephus. He was also in The Muppets Take Manhattan. He was a roller skater in that film. He was in The Cotton Club from 1984. Some people might know him in The Amazing Stories, which was um, a part of like a, an anthology TV series. He was um, in... Uh, I love the movie Renaissance Man. That's a great film, man. Another Danny DeVito mm-hmm. film. Uh, he was in 1986's Running Man. All right, Running Man. Running Scared. He was in 1989's Tap. Gregory Hines in The Running Man. That would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> Bojangles. I know, dude. He was uh, in Waiting to Exhale. He had his own television series back in 97 through 98, which is really neat. Yeah, you said Bojangles. Uh, voiced Little Bill, um, television series, I believe for children. It was more like a television stuff for family, which is really neat, but yeah. All right, moving forward, we have Tom Noonan plays the role of Ferguson. I'm surprised this is the first time we're actually talking about him. Well, because we haven't done... We've talked about him. Yes, but Because not, we talked about Hannibal. I mean, yeah, we can't help but talk about him. I mean, in full capacity. You're right, though, but he played Francis Dollarhide in Michael Mann's 1986's Manhunter. Fucking love Manhunter. Speaking of FX, he played Varric in the 1986 film, right? He was also in a couple of films coming up. I'm about to name that man for me. Well, some big speaking hitters. of The Running Man, another fucking Arnie movie. Dude. Because he was in Last Action Hero. I remember him as Frankenstein's monster in The Monster Squad. 
back in 87. Yeah, he was in Robocop Part 2 as Kane. He was also in Heat from 95. He was in um, a Thai West film, dude, I just watched not too long ago, and that is The House of the Devil, mm. which is actually pretty good, yeah, from 2009. Oh, so I gotta say, Robocop 2 is the one that I don't remember. I remember one, and I remember three. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've watched it, man. He was also uncredited, but he was in 2002's Eight-Legged Freaks. Another guy who's been in a ton of television, he was been in, like, in uh, Tales from the Dark Side, he was in... An episode of The X-Files, he's been in Law and Order, he's been on uh, CSI. Well, him showing up on uh, on CSI was a big deal, because that was his reunion with fucking, what's his name? That played Will Graham in Manhunter. Oh, damn. Uh, I know you're talking about, I always forget that guy's name. I'm, I'm going to look this up. Real yeah, quick. I always forget that dude's name. Me. I just remember he's the dad in... in um... Oh, William Peterson. William Peterson, okay. So moving forward, we have Dick O'Neill... Plays the role of Captain Warren. This gentleman's got some really cool films. Some people might know him for 1974's The Taking of Pelham 123. He was in the film MacArthur from 1977. He was in 1979's film The Jerk as Frosty, which is really cool. He was in 1980's The Comeback Kid. Let's see here. He was in 1985 Wes Craven's Chiller, which is really cool. 1986's The Mosquito Coast. That's a film I brought up a couple different times. He was in, um, let's see here, She's Out of Control from 89. Lots of television as well, man. Lots um, of one-offs, but like recurring role in Cagney and Lacey. Yeah, which is really, that's actually one I we used to watch as a kid, even though I don't, like, I couldn't tell you shit about it. But that's one I just remember it was on a lot. Like Falcon Crest. Yes. Now, here's some that are going to probably... Like, oh, this might ring a bell. He was in Home Improvement as Art Leonard from 1994 through 1996. I think he was a part of the Home Improvement television-like oh, deal, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He was in Family Matters as Commissioner Geis. So he would have been. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And he was also. So, yeah, a recurring role, but like once a season. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was also in an episode of Boy Meets World back in 96 as well. So that's really cool. All right. This one kind of blew my mind a little bit, but we have Dale Birdie plays the old Indian. And uh, now this gentleman, of course, because of his, his background, is you know, he's Native American. He starred in a lot of Westerns like Bonanza, Bat Masterson, Gunsmoke, things like that. He was also in like Cheyenne. Now, here's something that was the one that kind of blew my mind is this right here. His final appearance was on a 1990 episode of none other than Saved by the Bell. <laughs> and I remember it because that's the episode that Zach Morris I love those Zach Morris's trash if you've ever seen those on YouTube you need to check them out but this is where he was trying to like um, get in touch with his Native American history oh, shit. that episode Ooh. oh yes. okay yeah so Dale Birdie yeah was the uh, Native American that helped him give that presentation at the end I was like holy shit I've probably seen that episode I don't know how many times <laughs> all right so moving forward, we have Peter Michael Gertz. He plays Ross, who's a part of the executive security. Okay. This is a gentleman we've actually talked about before, man. Chud. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? He was in Chud. A few other things of note from Peter as well. He was in uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, speaking of Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> he was in Glory from 1989. 2015. Martyrs. That is, yeah, he went... Uncredited, that is... That's the American remake. Bonkers, yeah. <laughs> he was in both Father of the Brides as John McKenzie, which is really neat. 
He was in uh, King Kong Lives from 1986. Mm. It was really neat. Yeah. Some pretty cool films there. My Girl from 1991 is Dr. Welty. So, all right. Cool films there. All right. We've got a couple other people of note. I've got Reginald Vell Johnson as the morgue attendant. How did I fucking miss that? Dude, you're talking about some bonkers shit. When I said family matters, I, I figured that would have rung a bell. But yeah, Carl Winslow. Hello. <laughs> Tell me, that's not crazy. Some people also might know him as LAPD Sergeant Al Powell because he was in Die Hard and Die Hard Part 2, which is really cool. He was also an air traffic controller, Bob Abbott, in the 2012 film Air Collision. Uh, he was in Crocodile Dundee, Ghostbusters, Turner and Hooch, Like Mike. Some people might know that. That's really cool. You know what it was? I don't, I'm don't. i pretty sure he was clean shaven in this movie, and I can never remember him without the Carl Winslow mustache. Dude, he was in the episode Werewolf Concerto, 1992's Tales from the Crypt episode. Okay. Yeah. Just looking through some of the other credits. He had a recurring role in I'm in the Band from 2019 through 2011. Heart of Dixie from 2011 through 2015. Yeah, some really cool stuff there. All right, moving forward, we have... Donald Symington, he plays the role of lawyer. A few films of note from him. He goes way back. Uh, here's an exploitation film called Trick Baby. He was in Annie Hall. He was in the film Spring Break in Mighty Aphrodite. Hmm. All right, we have Roy Brocksmith. He was a jogger in the park. Um, I'll bring him up a little bit later on in the film, but... He was in a film we reviewed before because we talked about him back on episode 83 when we reviewed Arachnophobia... Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I was like, oh, damn, that's pretty cool. All right, a few other films of note from Mr. Brock Smith. He was in Total Recall, 1990. He was uh, Deputy James in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Some people might know him for his role in Tango and Cash. He was also part of The War of Roses. He's done tons of television as well. Uh, he was in Babylon 5, Star Trek uh, D Space Nine as Razak Karn. He voiced Futu in All Real Monsters, which is really neat. Yeah, he did three episodes of Tales from the Crypt. He did the episodes The Man Who Was Death, right? Which is actually the very first episode from season one. Sweet, okay. He was in that episode I was talking about. It was in Cutting Cards. He played the bartender in that. And he was also in the episode The Switch from 1990. Okay. All right. He was also in Star Trek The Next Generation as Serna Kolarami. All right, also in Scrooge as well. All right, so we've got a few other people of note. We've got James Tolkien plays the role of Baldy, the examiner. We talked about him on episode 58 back on Bone, Bone Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Yeah, dude. Here's something that is Principal really Strickland. wild. Yes, this is fucking hilarious, man. The last time I watched Back to the Future, which you just referenced. If you or anybody rewatches this, pay close attention to where... Michael J. Fox is running late for school. He's running up on the steps of the school, and there's, like, these big brick columns. And you can see somebody tagged Smegma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and graffiti. And it was kept in. I was like, holy shit, that's hilarious. So, you know, if you're paying attention, you can catch that. All right, he was in 1983 film War Games, which is Pretty mm, awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's starring Matthew Broderick. He was Stinger in 1986's Top Gun. He was Detective Lubick in 1987's Masters of the Universe. Uh, let's see here. Just a few other things of note. Yeah, he was in uh, Nightmares, which is another one of those like little anthologies. But he did the segment, The Bishop of Battle, which is really neat. 
He was in the Amityville Horror right you know prior to this. He was in Serpico, uh, The Werewolf of Washington. Yeah, he's got some really cool credits. All right, moving forward, we've got uh, Tom Waits, who's going to round out our cast and crew, but he is the drunk bar owner. He goes uncredited as if he needs any introduction now. Uh, musician. He's Tommy the Cat. I know. He's, I Tom, mean. Tommy the Cat is my name. Well, I mean, how many how many things do you want to talk about there? I mean, outside of music, he's been in tons of film. I know he's been in some uh, James Dermuche, uh, a lot of his stuff, mm. uh, mm-hmm. which is really cool. When I think of him in film, just because I love it, I always think of him as in a Wrist Cutter's Love Story. That's a good where one, Where he dude. plays uh, Neller. Yeah, he was in The Outsiders, which is really good. Rumblefish. So he was in some of those Essie Hinton and a couple of films. Cold Feet, which is a pretty good film, man. The Fisher King, another um, good film. Imaginarium Dude, of Dr. Parnassus. He's Renfield. Right. And I mean, come on. Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula. Hello. Seven Psychopaths. If you needed to see that, check that one out. Yeah, the Imaginarium, Dr. Parnassus. Let's see here. Let me go back. Coffee and Cigarettes. Dude, that was the one that, that Jim Jarmusch mm. film. Uh, he was in Mystery Men as well. So, yeah, he's been in a lot of really cool films. All right, but like I said, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings. Warnings, okay. Warnings, it's a... You can't see my air quotes, but it's a werewolf movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that more. There's some violence. There's some dismemberment. Yeah, there's some blood and air quotes gore. It's not very gory like it's not no. chunky and pulpy yeah it's, they're basic they're clean cuts and stuff like that you know i mean i guess art you could argue when you see some of the bite marks and stuff but eh. it, it's still questionable but yeah language oh nudity yes yeah there definitely is that <laughs> you get to see a little bit of dong getting hanged yeah there i mean there's along with that you want to see some corpses more like mm-hmm. in the morgue so that's a little different that it? I think that's it. As far as I know, yeah. It's some drug use. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about it. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, let's get into it and talk about Wolfen. How does that make you squeal? From the year of triple werewolf movies comes Wolfen. Not a werewolf movie? Yeah. Spoilers? I, I, I have a hard time calling it a werewolf this movie. This isn't a werewolf movie. It's not. There was only two werewolf movies released in 1981, and Wolfen is not one of them. Yes, I would agree with that sentiment. Even though this gets lumped in that category, I don't agree with it. There's no evidence the Wolfen have human forms. No. They're just smarter. That Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to argue and that. I realized... I might have read this book. No kidding. But if I did, it was when I was like nine or ten. Nice. I was reading a lot of horror novels at the time. I know that I read some Whitley Stryber. I think I might have read this. I didn't recognize it after the first time I watched this movie. But then I looked up and I saw the cover and I looked up some of the differences from the book and I'm like, oh wait, that sounds a lot more familiar. <laughs> No kidding. Because, like, at the end of the book, spoil, once again, we're, I'm just dumping Yeah, I mean, we're in this, this spoiler section anyway. Like, it's made a lot more clear that the wolves are fucked. Exactly. Yeah, I, re- I was reading that as well. And, like, they're not so mystical. They're, like, kind of more like what we think of as werewolves. 
<laughs> and some of them get fucked up. And now that, that sh- sort of shit started like triggering my memory. I'm like, oh, wait, That's I think wild. I might have read this, <laughs> but I'm not going to say for sure that I did. I obviously don't remember it that well, even if I did. Yeah. But it sort of started to spark something. And I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And I might have. I'm almost positive our library had it. I mean, of the things in that library that I wanted to read in my time living in Superior when I had nothing else to do but read, I legitimately read 95% of the things in that library that interested me. So, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're going to come across all kinds of stuff. And sometimes it is hard to remember, especially at certain ages, what the hell you read. Mm-hmm. There's books, too, of like, I remember the premise, couldn't tell you the fucking name of the book. Yeah, when I looked up the differences, I was like, that sounds familiar. I don't remember fucking mystical wolves beaming into a fucking tower at the end of a fucking movie. But wolves kind of getting in a little bit of a shootout and it being clear by the end that they're fucked, that sounds a little bit more like <laughs> something I might have ran across. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway. Okay, I'm going to try not to harp on the fact that it's not a werewolf movie too much more. So with that in mind... Us not quite getting what we were going after. I did still enjoy it. No, I did too. To be honest, I appreciated the fact for what it was trying to say. It's the werewolf version of Candyman. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Except with natives <laughs> instead of black people. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't think of it as a, a werewolf film, yeah, and more of a supernatural film, which, you know, it's playing in that territory anyway, then yeah, I would say you're absolutely right. I didn't find it to be amazing. No, it's not amazing, but I still had, you know, I I got enjoyment out of it. And like when I was still thinking of it as a werewolf film, I was like, well, that's the reason it was the least performing of those three. Yeah, which is really unfortunate to slap that tag on this film. But it's fine. Like, I'm glad that it seems to have found a bit of an audience and is remembered and stuff. I, I was mentioning to you when we picked this film last week that... I know that the second book in the Dresden Files series has references to Wolfin because it's it's called Full Moon. It's werewolves through and through. Just And the thing about the Dresden verse is like almost any kind of supernatural slash fantasy literature and or mythology and or folktales, it kind of exists in some form. In that universe. Makes sense, yeah. And so in that book, you run into like four different kinds of werewolves. And none of them are necessarily wolfen. But I do now read, like, I don't want to necessarily spoil the novel. In fact, I want to encourage people to read it because I love the yeah. Dresden Files. But like the the overall plot of like these murders are happening and it looks like it's happening because of wolves is what they sort of took for that book. Gotcha. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well... I know we like to try to talk about this right off the bat, too. I had never seen this film before. I'd seen the previous two official werewolf films from 1981. Right, The Howling and American Werewolf in London. Right, you know, which we happen to review. And, you know, not that I was let down. I'll go ahead and say that. Like, once I figured out that this wasn't a werewolf film... I was like, all right, now let me see what they're trying to do with it. What is its exact message? What are they going for? What angle is this? Because now it's like, now you kind of got me wondering what the fuck is going on. Right. 
so with that, you know, at least I had some intrigue. There, there was some misdirection, I suppose. And I don't think that was the film's intent. It was just we both were under the impression we were watching a werewolf film. Mm-hmm. So anyway. The name of it is Wolfen. Right. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Even the fucking poster is like intimating at the fact that you're about to watch a werewolf film or something of that akin to that. And Eddie James almost would make a really good werewolf. Yeah. he. I mean, he does a really good job of doing what he did. And it's funny in a way, and I use that word loosely, but thinking about watching the Northman more recently. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I did <laughs> oh, not realize that in like a week and a half, I was going to watch two movies that had a naked dude lapping fucking water off the ground. What the fuck? <laughs> I was acting that like too. a fucking wolf. It's like, what are the odds? But we've talked about that on the podcast. I don't know how many times in the past. Sometimes it's not a coincidence, man. This shit happens a lot on here. <laughs> I was fucking wild. I was like, am I watching this right now? Where's fucking Alexander Skarsgård? Like, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, well... I, was Willem Dafoe about to fucking is, feed him a mushroom? Like, that is interesting, man. And that makes me wonder if Robert Eggers watched this film growing up. What this movie's kind of trying... Because we've both sort of got at the fact that this movie is trying to say something. Yes. I do feel like this is one of those <laughs> instances of... You can tell the intentions are right, but maybe the execution is iffy yeah yeah and not that this is an excuse i'm just saying you know we've got to take it with uh, a bit of grain of salt here and through a different lens is 1981 this film was i think it was tinkered around in 1979 up to that point so uh, this feels i don't i guess i wasn't alive then right but it feels pro- extremely progressive for the time that's kind of what we get at so we have to look at it through that lens too you know from that perspective i don't know if that's true or not I know different I movements so. had have like ebbed and flowed through you know through different time periods that's, and yeah, even true. though we think of the past as being generally worse because it was generally worse yeah I mean you're right but there are times where like well, the ebb is such that like there's pockets of really goodness that's kind of where I was getting at too is like there's always going to be not always but typically when you have struggle and, and strife and oppression there's going to be movements that come out of that which are typically artful and you know meaningful and and what have you so it makes sense once again you're we're coming right out of vietnam war and all that stuff and you know there's a lot of stuff going on politically 1980 1981 (laughs) you know that not that this film is trying to say that but there's there's some remnants of some social commentary that this film is trying to say however it (laughs) In a movie where, especially in, like, the third act, the whole, like, y'all white people fucked it up, the natives had it right messaging is a little weird coming from when your main native in the movie is Eddie James Olmos, where you get half points for him being mostly indigenous. That's solid, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I know what you're saying. But it's not (laughs) the same. No. I mean, you know, and selling it as a werewolf movie mm-hmm. while using like, like the native voices and shit is kind of weird because I can only think of two. There, there's probably more, but off the top of my head, I can only think of like two tribes that have beliefs pertaining to shape shifting, and in both of them, it's a bad thing, mm. like a real bad thing. 
like you don't even talk about the specifics of it yeah. because it's that evil. That's that's interesting because I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a scholar at any of this too. So you know we've talked about this in the past. It's like you know I'm going to put a disclaimer here is once again take this with a grain of salt. I highly recommend people doing their own research, but just a little bit in the limited knowledge I have about some of the the beliefs that uh, Native American culture has with the wolf in general. It's it's interesting because. There was a book I was just reading, and uh, it was talking about some of this, too, specifically with the star, Sirius, mm. uh, dog star mm-hmm. slash wolf star, what it means. And I'm just looking here. Uh, this is a, just a pure example of it. But uh, take the Pawnee, for example. Is It says right here, is the birth and death of the wolf star was to them a reflection of the wolf's coming and going down the path of the Milky Way, known as the wolf road. So what that means and this is referring to the book I was reading too, is much like uh, the duat, which is the belief for the Egyptians, where when you die, you get tested in the afterlife. That's kind of what this is. Mm-hmm. It's just the Native American version of it. Even though they don't have a direct connection, Egyptians and, and you know, first peoples, it's, it's wild, man. So anyway, that's just a little glimpse into that. Yeah. Although, once again, like that's that's separate from somebody actually shape-shifting. Precisely. Precisely. And when that gets involved, it tends to be very bad, bad, not good. Right. As far it's, as those, uh, those mythologies go. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's more or less... I think they do a pretty good... And when I say they, the people involved with this film, is they do a pretty good job of, of not trying to mix that. You know, no, like... right. There, there's a good balance of, of the message of we can blend with the animals that we have a connection to. That's how we're able to blend into your society and do the things that we need to do. And that's how, we, you know, that's, they, they, they have this long history with nature and the world mm-hmm. in general. And yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Well, in the movie, like I said, I think it's done with better intentions than not. Cause the movie even yeah. like sidesteps a little bit when they're, when you have the exposition dump that explains what the wolf and are, the one guy from the bar sort of shouts out trying to be helpful. He's like, they're like our elders. And he's like, no, no, they're like another tribe. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of cool, man. It's Because it's it's still, it manages to still set it apart rather than being like, no, this is what these people believe. Exactly. I like that. Like I, said, I think they were doing a delicate enough job to where it wasn't trying to be disrespectful and still play around a little bit with, with some of the supernatural, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, without being offensive. So I give it kudos there. Like I said, especially that time period, man, they could have really botched yeah, it. It could have been real bad. <laughs> they could have really botched thing. it. Like I might be sitting here like, ah, that seems a little bit yeah. icky, but yeah. I'm looking at it from 2022. And that's kind of where I, like I said, I totally get it from our lens now. It's like, oof. But 1980, I'm like, you know, I, I got to take it for what it is worth from that time point. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm trying to, yeah, if I'm trying to judge a film that's 60, 70, not that that film's that old, but just saying, then it's like, ah, uh, it doesn't make it any better. But I'm just saying I have to, you know, it gives you a better perspective of what the fuck they're trying to do and saying and all that other shit. I will say I kind of understand where people think it's a werewolf movie, though, because this movie really does frame Eddie James almost and like all of his compadres as being werewolves point they like, really i mean they do 
they bring them very forefront and center whenever any of this stuff is being brought up and like have them hanging out in all the same places that the Wolfen hang out and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, they really want you to question it. Like, is it them until that end part? I like and if that. somebody didn't, if they missed like a sentence that he said in that bar there, yeah. you probably don't get that. They are not them. You know, that's a solid point. If you're not really paying attention, because it's easy to kind of zone out. This is almost a two hour long film. So it's easy to kind of zone in and out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to miss what he's trying to say about who the wolf and are. Not who they are, the people at the bar per se. It's just who the wolf and are in general. It's like, oh, okay. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, because if you miss that one scene, you th- you're going to think it's them. Right. It's like, no, I just learned how to blend with them. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, no, they're they're just homies. That's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do. They dap us up. We dap them up. <laughs> Yeah, I like that, man. It's it's really cool. And I think that's the, if you want to call it a twist, it's a really cool twist or at least revelation for one of the characters in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, shit, he gets it. And it's uh, not that I have an issue with that because I really don't. I just think at this point it's a little cliche. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's like a little bit of the white guilt, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, he, he gets it. I'm not saying that's what they're saying or what they're doing, but I get it. It's like, he, he makes the connection and he understands his place and, you know, the imbalance what the world today is as a part of our history. Him, okay. My problem is him getting it still doesn't explain the ending though, because we're yeah. led to believe that these Wolfen have been around Fucking 20,000 years. We don't know how old they are because they're revealed to be some sort of supernatural. Like, these wolfen that we're seeing might have been alive that entire 20,000 years. Maybe they're only, like, the second generation. We don't know how long wolfen live. I I have no idea. All we know is they've been around. They're supernatural. That probably means they've been around a long time. They've been hiding out in the cities the entire time. (laughs) They fucking bomb around all the time watching people, listening to people, and especially these people because they've thought them to be a threat and have already picked off a couple of his fucking friends and have heard some of their conversations as we get through their fucking first-person view. So they should know that he has no say whatsoever whether that fucking building construction goes forward or not. Yeah, he's got nothing to do with that. So him destroying that fucking building yeah. means Dick nothing. All. <laughs> That's funny, huh? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I didn't catch that the first time through. I was like, oh, cool. Like, he's showing him he, he's not a threat and like, oh, I'm not going to go through with this. And I'm like, wait a second. He's not the one going through with anything. No, 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 no. He's just making like this connection, this correlation. He's just trying to find out who the fucking killers are. That's all he's doing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Like the first time through, like because I'd never seen this before, and the first time through, expecting it to be, you know, James Olmos is his character and his his Skywalkers, the people that he works with, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, oh, they're kind of. Making you think that, especially the way the film opens and the first death sequence and all that stuff. I'm like, well, this is, you know, okay, I can see where there's a where, where this is a werewolf film. And it starts to play out. And I'm like, okay, this is this is interesting. Where they're gonna go with it. Maybe it's not necessarily them, but maybe there's something akin to that, you know. And I do like the use of like that geothermal Right. That's like hey, it is a precursor to Predator using it. 
which is neat. So that was cool for the Wolfen. Based on what Tom Noonan says later in his dialogue when he's making a recording, he claims that all wolves have that vision. Oh, uh, yeah. That ain't true. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his character, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that ain't true, bro. That ain't true. No. That opening, I did want to say my first note about this fucking movie is, yep, no, fuck that. Oh. Don't have me fucking building a bridge. I don't care how strapped in I am. I'm not hanging out up there. Oh. That shit's scary, dude. I don't care, man. When I used to do construction, when you tie off like that, on high, not that I've ever been that fucking high working, but some stuff you work, I mean, even 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50 feet in the air is enough to make you want to shoot your bridges. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's so, not like I'm super scared of heights, yeah. but there's some heights that like I'm not going to fuck around with. No, you can't. One little slip and you're done, son. And I've... And even if you're tied off, that ain't going to be fun. No. Fuck no. That shit ain't designed to save your life comfortably. It's simply designed to save your life. That's it. And that shit's going to hurt, and it's going to bruise. Yeah. It's going to pull. It's going to tug. It's going to do all that stuff. But, you know, like I said, at least you're not And you're going to be shitting your britches the entire time. I'd rather be doing that than splatting (laughs) on the fucking ground. (laughs) No thanks. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that that was gutsy, but... I have an appreciation for some of these films, man. I was bringing this up with Steven, and I was telling him, I was like, you know, this film still has an old New York feel, mm-hmm. mainly because that opening sequence with uh, Brooklyn, you're like, what the? Oh, not Brooklyn, the South Bronx. South Bronx, <laughs> South, like, South yeah. Bronx. I'm like, what the fuck, man? It looks like, I didn't realize that was actually what it looked like back then. I was like, this is crazy. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Right, it was like they built and burnt the church for the movie, but everything right. else was just yeah, as it was, it was. As it was. Yeah, that's not like they went somewhere over in the Middle East or no, it was right here in the States, in New York, South Bronx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boogie down Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. It's the birthplace of it, but it, it just makes me wonder, you know, like, damn, think about, you know, like where we're at and and how much that stuff has been whitewashed over. And this is kind of what the film's making a little bit of a critique of is some of the gentrification that was happening at that time period too. Like that place to me, honestly looked like a war zone. Like it just been bombed the fuck over and just got left to ruins and people moved in, mm-hmm. you know, cause people were still living in the Bronx. So anyway, it, it just kind of blew my mind, but apparently like it was a great place for a lot of people to, to film and do production. Huh? can see why well i didn't think about that first murder the first time through about like location and shit until i heard what you know got through the movie understood what it's about and you come back and this fucking old money dutch dude is getting fucking murdered at the place where like one of the first places they started fucking colonizing no here essentially it's the the the, he got killed at the place of the first windmill yeah I was like, all right, I've been to Battery Park. I worked in Manhattan. I don't ever remember seeing that there. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, well, is that an old thing? That it, it never existed. That that was just purely for the movie's sake. But symbolically for the movie's sake, it makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I made that connection too. I was like, oh, okay, this is what they're trying to say. Is like, oh, this is yeah. I get this now. Yeah. This makes sense now. Exactly. That's I like it though. 
So what I also thought was funny. Kind of unfortunate, though, that the black guy still buys it first. Uh, yeah, it is. But that kind of fits a cliche of horror movies. Yeah. Unfortunately. Although, like... I'm going to say they did it intentionally, but... But I also think that, like, it's unfortunate because, like, you're killing the white guy at the place where this colonization uh, first started. Yeah. But that means any black saying. people that would have been there would have been slaves. Yeah, exactly. I know you're saying that's again like, uh, oh, oof. Once again, good intentions. Right. Not best execution. I get it. Yeah. Oof. What I, what I wanted <laughs> to say upon hindsight now after watching this film, and it made me think of something because what we already talked about with the imaging and the use of the in-camera effects to pull mm-hmm. that off. They said they went on to use that for Predator, but if anybody, once again, is familiar with the YouTube Predator opera, mm. if it bleeds, oh, that's right. you can kill it. Bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> that's what it made me think of. <laughs> <laughs> These wolfen. I was like, All the, well, do they bleed? <laughs> <laughs> then you can kill it. Do they? Yeah. See, that's what it made me think of, but we never got to see We never bleed. got to find out. So it doesn't seem like you can. <laughs> they don't off a couple of them like they do in the book. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a major difference, but I couldn't help but think that when I was watching this film, anytime I'm just waiting for somebody to get shot. During that opening killing sequence, though, the hand still moving on the ground, that was dope. That was good. That was good. I don't know if you read this or not, or if you looked at it. They were committed to dismembered parts still moving. In no, movie. I give them total credit on that because <laughs> it's like the effects weren't bad. Mm-hmm. Not for the time period, it wasn't bad at all. But the uh, the actress who played the wife Christopher Vanderveer, I think her name was Pauline in the film, but I didn't know this. It's kind of neat. Her name was uh, Anne Marie Patamo. She was Miss Finland and Ooh. Miss Universe, nineteen seventy five. Wow. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's kind of neat. <laughs> Vanderveer was Poland. Yeah, it was. I'm like, all right, sweet. You know, like a little snow bunny in there. <laughs> she hitting the slopes with the nose. That was kind of interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Honestly, after that first killing, in my opinion, you can kind of tune out for a bit. You really can. Because it just becomes a fucking Almost a procedural. Yeah, it's not quite a procedural. but it's, you know. But it's it's a crime movie and a slow-moving crime movie. Yeah. Anytime Gregory Hines is on screen, fucking tune in. It's good. It's good. I I mean, Noonan, you know, he's... Oh, Noonan was great. He's kind of monotone, but I like like him. He's he's good in this film. The actress, uh, Diane Venora, she plays um, that psychologist that works with um albert finney, finney. yeah like they're she was fine great. yeah I mean, everybody fine. does a good job yeah, but yeah, like yeah, when it's yeah. just them on screen i don't care like, as much no it, what i mostly got out of it minus the killings right if you take away the killings is you have a, kind of a juxtaposition of um this terrorist cell that's going around i was just about to bring that up so this so the terrorist cell doesn't actually have anything to do with what happened in this movie. No. The it's plot a, of this movie kicks off them taking down a terrorist cell <laughs> in the background of this movie. The fucking Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of this movie yeah. is a terrorist cell ending up in a giant fucking firefight. Yeah. Rescuing fucking women and children. As well, isn't it? And that's like the C plot? I, yeah, I know. I'm like... Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you, but no, that no, shit no, blew no, my no. mind. Like, that's, that's what I got out of it, too, because, yeah, the A, B plot, like, you mix it around, we've already talked about for, like, what, 30 minutes now? Yeah, um, it's like this this crime 
is yeah, that you've got a plot. crime. Yes. The and B then, plot is arguably the romance. Yes. Although <laughs> that's very well done. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's more of like just a little hookup. Mm-hmm. We're going to work together for a few weeks as hookup. But yeah, and then the, the C plot's like, what's going on with this gutter dumbrung <laughs> terrorist <laughs> the group? The C plot is every like 15 minutes, somebody's going to mention that they're still after this terrorist cell. And yeah. by the end of the movie, there's been a whole ass fucking operation like, that we wow. never got to see. No. But I get it because there's this interesting crossover, you know, mm-hmm. like because of that background C plot, they're actually getting the credit for the A plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like uh, everybody had a group project. It's like the group project analogy. You know, it's like the one kid who didn't do shit gets all the credit <laughs> for everybody else's work. Well, I mean, we keep bringing up the difference from the novel in the film that C plot is the only plausible explanation by the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I well, said, in the novel, sense, yeah. they end up with a couple dead wolfen, which is why the wolfen are now like in the book, they're screwed yeah. by the end. Like you don't yeah, see them yeah. get taken out and they get back and they but, get to safety and they start to regroup, but you know that their days are numbered because now there's yeah. proof. Right. That humans have a, a predator. In this, there's, there's no proof. No, 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 there's not. Exactly. The there's... only proof they have is all tied to God or Damaro. Right, and that's it. That's all the proof they need. <laughs> and that's what I'm getting at. It's like, they get all the credit for everything that's been happening in this film. And it's just going to keep happening. Yes. Yes, and that's the whole front. That's the whole cover. That's the whole beauty of it if you're the Wolfen. That's the beauty of it. They're always going to have, a, like, a cover. <laughs> and... <laughs> Once again, good intention, bad execution. Yes, yes. That means that what's going to keep happening is that this group that by the end of the movie, the audience is supposed to be at least rooting a little Mm. bit for because you find out that they were just a member of a slaughtered and disenfranchised people. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Are now being left to prey on the most vulnerable members of society. They say it. They spell it out. It's like, we're going to... I even wrote it down. I mean, it's basically said they'll they'll continue to prey on the weak and isolated members of the human herd, as humans do to each other throughout class conflict, which basically that's what's happening with this film. You have the elites, like the Van Devers, and then you have this Gatudamarung group who are, you could say fascist, or anti-fascist, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're committing acts of terrorism, you know, anti-establishment and all whatever the whole point being is because there's going to be this class conflict as long as you have the haves and have nots this is always going to be a perfect cover but that's where you get into this kind of like well, well that's, fucked up. that's what i'm saying is like well that doesn't necessarily mean that is right right <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's the whole the two wrongs don't make it right here but i get it it's like you know they're saying upon one us. is as to the other, but right. they're not thinking about what that says about the people that are doing it. Exactly. And that's where you keep nailing it on the head is, like I said, it's it has good intentions, but the execution probably wasn't well thought out enough or well fleshed out. And I don't know if you want to assert any blame. I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't thought out completely, period. And, story. And I think some of these conversations just weren't had as well at that time. Yeah, and that's to say that's probably the the you know the hindsight of having forty plus years now in the bag mm-hmm. on this film. But regardless, it's I think it's still an interesting film. Like it's one of those films 
if I was going to recommend it, I was like, yeah, it's not a werewolf film. Don't think of it as that. Try to and, find the meaning in what they're trying to say. And you people out there, our listeners, be the catalyst in this world. Be the change yes. in this world to have people stop <laughs> calling this a goddamn werewolf movie. Yes, please. This is not... I, Go ahead and scrap that whole, the, the three film, the three werewolf films, 1981, because there's only two. There's only two. <laughs> I mean, there might be a third. Yes, yes, yeah. But, I mean, it's, but yes, it's underground. Yeah. It's not. As far as Wolfen, <laughs> American Werewolf in London, and The Howling Goes, there's only two. That actually involve werewolves. <laughs> and Wolfen ain't it. <laughs> so that's what we're saying. But. Regardless, I, I know we keep saying this is like I still found some some enjoyability. It's like not one that I would watch all the time. It's like if it were on, say for instance, if it were on, it was halfway through or something like that. It's like yeah, I'll probably watch a little bit of it just to see where it's at, and you know I might stick around in the ending. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It was like even the kills were they were all right, stuff like that. It was kind of neat for the cameos. Mm-hmm. Albert Finney would I like this? Like he was good. I thought he did a really good job. Like you've already mentioned, all, he, everybody did great. He extremely low-key had the funniest line in the movie to me. When he was talking to Baldy, mm-hmm. the the other fucking medical examiner. <laughs> yeah. There's something he goes, oh, thanks, Baldy. And as he's walking out, uh, <laughs> and he's telling him to keep working. <laughs> he hit him with a double. He hits him with a double because he's telling yeah. him to keep working. Keep combing through it. Keep combing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. He also said something that was kind of, kind of poignant, too. It might try to. It might have been um, uh, Gregory Hines where he was telling him if, if you want to lay. He was like, "Hey, you need a haircut. You want to lay? Want to lay down?" It's like, uh, not until it's my time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of. I mean, it's it's kind of a heavy remark to make, <laughs> you know, considering what he was looking at and what was going on. But did you notice that the first half of Tom Noonan's first scene, the entire first half of it, is all ADR? Ah, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I paid much attention, but it does make sense. It does I make was just sense. like, I wonder what he was actually saying in that scene, or was it just a terrible take? Yeah, maybe there was like a bunch of outside noise. I mean, it's New York, yeah. too, Manhattan. And if he was in, in Central Park, that area, yeah, there would have been a lot of traffic noise and shit. All right, so I didn't think I was going to see Eddie James almost dong in this movie. I know. I wasn't expecting that. To his credit, he was in really good shape back then. Mm-hmm. So give him credit there. At least it wasn't like, a, you know, a sloppy one. Did Tom Noonan's death give you kind of grizzly man vibes? Yeah, it was fucking fun. Kind of, well, I'm trying to think. There's it, it almost gave me another werewolf film. I hate to, to say it a little bit of spoiler if you've never seen it, but uh gave me a little bit of several bullet vibes. Because mm. <laughs> he's okay. in that tunnel. Right, right, right. You know, okay. and he's like, he's like, all right, I know you're there. <laughs> I just started thinking grizzly man, because I'm like this is the only motherfucker. Like, he is tearing up watching this yeah. footage yeah. of wolves getting shot. He's out there That's just trying to prove that you're there. And you motherfuckers, you've been spying. Once again, you all have been spying on them. Yeah. You oh have God. heard their conversations and know that this is the only guy that's on your side. Yeah, I didn't get that. And you're going to fucking murk him. I, I didn't get that. I don't I don't know. But what I thought was, I mean, it. it's playing on the whole wolf thing, but... When he called, and he's like, yeah, Peter, Wolf. That was funny. I like that. I mean, it's like, I used it's to listen silly. to Peter and the Wolf when I was a little kid. Likewise, man. I mean, I like the musical. I like mm-hmm. all that stuff. But I like just little, little stuff like that. It's it's clever. I mean. There is a very, very brief foreshadowing, though, that that's going to happen 
that scene where he's watching all the footage, mm -hmm. when it cuts to that scene, the first note that you hear him say is that the prey that he's watching in the footage, he says something like, when it turned to flee, that's when it basically ended its own life. That's when it gave them the uh, cue to attack as predators. Yeah. And it's when he turns around and leaves on the fucking bike. Yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. That's, it's clever, man. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I, um, I'm appreciative of the fact that we explore these films. Like, Honestly, if it wasn't for this podcast, I don't know if I'd ever watch this film. And that's yeah. not a, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that's probably a thing. So it's given me an excuse to watch it. And because of that, we've already debunked <laughs> a myth. <laughs> you know, it's not a werewolf film. Doesn't mean I don't like it. Doesn't mean it's not a good film. It's just we've got to recategorize it, man. It's it's a supernatural film. It's it's like Saw, not a torture porn. Thank you, man. I had that conversation this week, coincidentally enough. But I don't know. I, without me, keep saying but a lot. I don't know. It's it's an interesting film, nonetheless. Like, I think it's it's definitely worth checking out, if nothing else. Wait, <laughs> I said Finney had to download the funniest line in the movie. He also had the dumbest line in the movie. There's this one part towards the end, and he's trying to figure out everything that's happening, and he's sort of just muttering to himself. Oh God, goes, territory. Yeah, <laughs> terrorism, <laughs> terror. I know exactly what you're saying. That's funny. And I'm like, you yeah. know those are spelled different, bro. Like, the territory is a... There's an I in there, not yeah. like those others. A terror. Okay. Territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was kind of funny. I know what you're saying. It's... Uh, they were using certain refrains in mm -hmm. this, which I thought was... Second time through was kind of interesting. was like the chimes. And even the blinds, they had a little bit of the, the chime-esque mm -hmm. sound to it. So they were using a little bit of that motif and it would sound and things like that to let you know there was probably that presence there. You know, they were watching or whatever, but... Because they like to watch. Yeah, they're watchers. <laughs> I don't blame them. But Shit, they were watching when he was getting it on. They were listening, they were watching, they were doing all that freaky stuff. I mean, they, they know. They, mm -hmm. know what, they know the score. <laughs> Red Rocket Wolfen. That's wild. I still... <laughs> I think it is kind of fucked up. I get why they went after Gregory Hines because he had the weapon, but yeah, you already mentioned it. Ferguson, Tom Noonan's his, his character. He kind of foreshadowed his own death, but it still doesn't make sense. I still don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's one I I could I'm going to take a little grievance with. But other than that, he, maybe even the construction worker that was on the bridge. Oh right, he just why got knocked. The, he just got knocked the fuck out. I mean, I get it. Like you were in a fight or flight situation, maybe, but you brought upon that. You brought that upon yourself. Yeah, that guy had nothing to do with anything you were doing up there. No, if you would have just hung out behind that pillar for like two more seconds, he would have walked past and never saw your ass. He wasn't even paying attention. You're just bringing more heat by fucking killing people in this area. Yeah, that's not cool. That's not cool. For twenty thousand year old wolves, they're kind of dumb. Yeah, <laughs> at least his phone makes it out to be. There was a little remark, oh no, not remark, but there was some expo that Gregory Hines had when they made a connection with the lupine hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were talking about a victim down in New Orleans, at least in Louisiana, and stuff like that. I was like, oh, they're kind of. That's the other thing. This movie posits that the wolf are in every major city anyway. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, that's 
kind of neat. I like that too, even though it goes absolutely nowhere else with that. It's like but at least, it, yeah. So at least it gives you an an idea that it's not just you know right here in in New York in the boroughs. It's mm-hmm. happening elsewhere. Which is I, I kind of like that. Which means it's even more dire at the end than they make uh, it seem. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I don't know, but nonetheless, like without me saying a whole bunch of buts, there's some interesting little side nuggets. Apparently, this is neat little trivia here. When this film was released, of course, theatrically, there was a, a thing called Mega Sound that was starting to be introduced at theaters, which okay. was it was a new format, and this was actually created by Warner Brothers, right? And what it did was it used um, an enhancement for, like, the premiere engagements. Uh, anyway, it was used in just, like, the left-right channels, back channels, and stuff like that to give you more of an ambient sound, like the thuds, crashes, explosions, and shit like that. Okay. To give it more of a cinematic feel, to give you more, like, you know, like a, a rush, an adrenaline right. rush for action films and stuff like that. So it was, like, the one of the first times they were using that technology. Okay. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's kind of neat, man. We already mentioned the fact that this is like the first use of that POV as far as like the thermal imaging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of neat. And um, first book that Whitley Schreiber wrote. I don't know mm. if you read that. It was kind of neat. I didn't read that, no. Only film outside of documentaries that Wadley did. Like, okay. This is the only film he did. That's wild. Yeah. This is the only horror film officially that Albert Finney's ever done. Oh, okay. Yeah. I feel like he has to have another one that has at least horror elements. I mean, you could you argue could, Scrooge has horror elements. Right, but. right, right. I mean, there's you could argue the elements of, but this is technically the only horror film he has been in, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Another thing I read, too, the only film that Dustin Hoffman has ever been turned down for, he really, really wanted the role of Dewey. Right. But the director wanted Albert Finney. Like, he I think said I that was his favorite Hoffman. actor. Hoffman would have been cool. I I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could see why Hoffman during that time period too, because man, he was coming off the back of a lot of killer films. Man. Mm-hmm. I don't have to list them all, but there are some killer films he was in. And Just I could thinking see that. about what he looked like at that time period. He that's kind of what I'm, for the that's what I'm getting at. Like he fit the bill for that too. I get why he wanted that part, mm-hmm. especially the whole terror, terrorist shit. <laughs> he would have been perfect for that. But Kmart, definitely, definitely, definitely Kmart. Definitely 100, yeah, Cincinnati. <laughs> but I'm not mad with the fact that Albert Finney was cast because he, he nailed mm-hmm. it, man. He did a really good job. So once again, I enjoy everybody's performances. I like the fact that this is a glimpse of the old 1980s New York, not the one that we get to see. Even like when I was there in the early 2000s, 2003 and four, uh, it was no, not even like Battery Park. The opening scene with the Vanderbeers, all that shit's different, man. It looks completely different. So I get it. It's a interesting glimpse into a bit of history that a lot of people forget. Makes me appreciate films like this. Um, so yeah, man, that's about all I have left to say about this film. Yeah, I don't think I have too much more either, other than it's not a goddamn work. <laughs> man, we've said that fucking a hundred times we in have, this episode. But but we can't stress it enough. I just We were going for Werewolf. We got ripped off. We did. So... With that. Do you know why? Because it appears on every fucking werewolf movie list. I know, dude. I'm. You know what? Uh, I'm thinking this about what, the the fucking the whaling. Not a ghost movie. I know, dude. What the fuck? So, quit mislabeling things. <laughs> At least you know, confer with people who know before you start 
That one shit on stuff. Some of us watch this shit every week for years. Like yeah, us. We have, we have a better understanding like a, of maybe how to... Hit us up. Make us watch a movie. Then we'll tell you how to, <laughs> to genreify it. I know, man. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, man. But I do take a bit of offense that this is not a werewolf film. No. I almost want to look up a list of movies released in 1981, though, and see if there is, in fact, a third werewolf movie. I think there might be a German film. Ooh, okay. I, I could be wrong, though, but I, I maybe... Uh, yeah, it wasn't a hit. Why there's a movie called There? Like, uh, maybe. But is that I'm, from 81? I'm not sure. Because I've heard of that movie. Like, I know the movie of which you speak. All right, well, we don't know what we're doing next week, do we? No. <laughs> we're going to go figure that out, as we usually do. Sometimes we have a plan, most of the time we don't. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Oh. <laughs> Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments questions want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project you can always contact us squirmcast at gmail.com or you can contact us through our website www.friedsquirms.com uh scroll through our entire back catalog there or click the links up at the top as we are part of the earverm podcast network uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>